This morning we continue in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17 is where I will be, but also you can follow the words on the screen. During this time when we have been staying home, maybe you have done more home projects, maybe you've read more, watched TV more. One of the things that we've been doing are the little projects around the house that always irritate you that haven't been done, but you never have time to do them. And so we've had more time, and that's what we've been doing. Unfortunately for me, that has meant going into the crawl space of our house. Has anyone ever been in the crawl space of a house? If you have, you know that it's dark, it stinks, it's confining, and ours is very large and very confining. And so it is a place that I never want to go, but sometimes have to go. Uh, the first thing I do when I go in is I take a flashlight and I look for eyes. So I'm looking just to make sure there's no cat or a skunk or something worse down underneath there that uh, might jump out at me. And uh, then also I kind of listen for a few minutes before I even go in there. I'm listening for something slithering or something rattling. You know, I want to make sure there's no snakes under there. That's my worst nightmare is to get under there and come face to face with the snake. And there is no way I can get away from it because it is army crawling under our crawl space. That's no baby crawling. You can't get up that high. So it's army crawling and whatever I face, it is going to get me. I can't get away from it. So that's why I take that time. Now, the other thing about it, when I come out of it, my clothes stink. And I don't mean just smell bad. They are rank. And really, it's moldy smell. It really, honestly, it's almost like a death smell. It's just putrid. I mean, I, I take those clothes and I put them immediately in the washing machine on a sanitary wash. Then they get dried and sanitized again and again. And honestly, I probably should just throw them away. That would probably be the easiest thing. Every time I went under there, just throw the things away. And so it reminds me every time I go under there about this passage of scripture this morning. Because Paul here tells us to take off our old self. That old self that honestly is dirty and smelly and stinks of death. And to put on the new self that is new life, that is clean, that is holy and righteous. And what amazes me about my own life, about the life of so many Christians, is that we crawl back under that crawl space. And we get in the dirt and the filth. And we get in the darkness and we get in the confined space when we have above us a whole big house to live in with light and cleanliness. Why would we as Christians live in that darkness when we can live for Christ in the light? Paul tells us this morning how to live in the new life. He's been telling us how to walk with God. And then last week we learned that we are to walk worthy of who we are. We are children of God. We have been adopted by Him. We are His children, so we should act like it. And that also meant last week that we learned that we are to grow up, that we are no longer to be children in the faith. We are to be mature and that we help each other do that with our gifts. So Paul continues the image of walking with God today. 
In the translation I have, it says live, but the word is walk, literally. And he says in Ephesians 4, 17, Therefore I say this, and testify in the Lord, you should no longer live or walk, walk as the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their thoughts. Paul says not to walk like a Gentile. You can almost make a song. Wasn't there a song, Walk Like an Egyptian, back in the 80s? So, walk like an Egyptian, walk like a Gentile. As Gentiles, people who are non-Jewish, it kind of is insulting. Because he's telling us as Christians, don't walk like non-Jewish people. What does he mean by that? He's not really saying Gentile as terms of race or ethnicity. What he is saying is that in Jewish culture, the stereotype of a Gentile was a heathen. Someone who did not have any relationship with God. And that's how he's using the word here. He is saying, do not live like you used to live before you had a life with God. He tells us what that life is like. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God. Because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. Paul says that a Gentile is someone who's excluded from life in God. It's someone who doesn't have a relationship with God. And so this is how their life is like. It begins with their thinking. It's amazing to me that someone who denounces God... And someone who takes off the shackles of Christianity or any religion feels like they are free and that their mind is now free. Paul says it's the exact opposite. That those who do not know God, their minds are darkened. It's filled with ignorance. It's filled with futile thinking because a person does not know the truth. Truth is found in God. Anything that's not from God is not truth. It's a lie. It's fake. It's false. And that's what so many people believe. They believe lies, falsehoods, and they think it's the truth. If, that's what, if someone believes a lie and thinks it's the truth, their minds are messed up. They're darkened. They're ignorant. They don't know God, don't know the way of God. And because of the mind that is not right, it also means the heart is not right. It's hard. It's hard-hearted because people will not listen to God when he speaks. It's hard-hearted because it's a selfish person who won't consider other people. So someone apart from God has a hard head and a hard heart. And that heart gets harder, it gets calloused as people sin more and more. You've probably had this experience. Uh, The first time you committed a sin that you knew you shouldn't have, you felt bad, you felt guilty, you felt ashamed. That was your conscience. That's what God gives to everyone. Even those who aren't Christians have that conscience. Christians have the Holy Spirit, who is like a super conscience, because that's God himself telling us what's right and wrong. Now, if people, when they have that conscience, tell them something's wrong, if we are Christians, we confess that sin and God forgives us. If you're not a Christian, you have the choice of, well, that felt bad. Do I do it again or not? And what can happen is the first time you feel very ashamed. The second, third, fourth, fifth time, less so. 
to the point where a sin that brought you so much grief can become a part of who you are. And it feels just as natural as breathing. Well, what happened? Your conscience or your heart or your soul that became calloused, like fingers that have been rubbed and rubbed and rubbed and produce a callous. That can happen to your conscience. And now you can sin and it doesn't hurt. doesn't make you feel ashamed. You feel no guilt. And what's even more interesting is not only that you sin without shame, but then you look for more ways to sin. And, and that's what Paul's talking about. They have a lust for more immorality. So as you hear this person who has a hard head, a hard heart, a, a callous soul, uh, always looking for more ways to sin, you may say, well, gosh, Pastor, that doesn't sound like me. Ever lived, I never lived a life like that. Or you may say, well, I was saved when I was eight years old. I don't ever remember having a life like that. Or you may look at people who aren't Christians and never go to church or never say anything about God, and you look at their life and say, well, their life isn't like that. But the reality is, yes, none of us sin as much as we could sin. Think about that. If we did, we'd all be in here murdering each other right now. I mean, that's true. We don't all sin as much as we could. But the reality is, this is the condition of everyone before they come to Christ. And if you stop and think about it, even though the sin may not be to the extreme, the ignorance, the hard-heartedness, the selfishness, yes, it's there in every single person. And Paul says, this is who you were. This is the old self. But he says, that's not how you are now. Look in verse 20. But that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. To take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self. The one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth. So here Paul kind of changes his metaphor. He's talking about walking, not like the Gentiles, but now he's talking about taking off and putting on, much like you take off clothes and you put on clothes. So you take off the old self. You take off the old, dirty, smelly, honestly disgusting life that you had, just like those old, smelly, deathly clothes that come out of that, my crawl space, I take those off and I put on the new clothes. And we, our Christians, have a new life because we do have a relationship with God. And Paul describes what that is like. I find it interesting that he simply tells us our new life is the image of God. Weren't Adam and Eve created in the image of God? That's what separated them from all the animals. They were created in the image of God. We are Adam and Eve's children. We're created in the image of God. But sin messes up that image. It's like it smears it, mars it. And so what Paul is really telling us is to get back to who we are. Isn't that what he has been telling us? You are believers now. You are Christians. Live it. Act like it. Grow up and be like it. Be like God. That's who you were created to be in the first place. Sin in your life messed it up. God has forgiven your sin and given you a new life. Now you can be the person you were always meant to be. To be in the image and likeness of Christ. And so where there was ignorance, now there's truth in Christ. Where there was a desire for more and more sin, 
Now there is holiness and righteousness. Where there was a desire to be as far away from God as you could be, now there is a desire to be close to God. We have life in Him. And notice again, it begins with a renewed mind. Just like a mind before that was darkened and ignorant and futile in its thinking produces a life that's sinful, a mind that is renewed and changed produces a, a life that is godly and righteous. And really that's where the battle begins, is in our mind. Think about this. We spend so much of our hours during the week being bombarded by the message of our culture and society, don't we? It's in advertising, it's in the shows we watch, it's in the radio we listen to, the songs that we hear, it's in the conversations we have, it's in the news we watch. We hear a secular, non-Christ-like message all the time. And it infiltrates our mind. And then sometimes we think, well, gosh, all I need is to come for an hour on Sunday morning and put a little God in my mind, and that's going to take care of it. That's not enough. We need to spend time with God Engaged with him, with our minds, uh, in meditation, in prayer, in scripture reading, devotional reading, and talking to other Christians. We need to fill our minds with, with the purity of goodness and truth, really to counteract everything else we're getting during the week from all over the place. And when our minds are changed and renewed, then it leads to a heart that is melted and a life that's lived for Jesus Christ in a life that looks like God himself. And so Paul tells us in five commands, five illustrations, ways that we can live in the image and likeness of God. It's easy to say, isn't it? Take off the old, put on the new. What does that look like, Paul? Well, he's going to tell us. He's not giving us an exhaustive list, but he says, hey, work on these five, and then we'll talk later once you got those figured out, Okay. And so this is what he says. Therefore, put away lying. Speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language should come from your mouth but only what is good for building up someone in need, so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by Him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you, along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ." I'm going to go over these five commands quickly. But I also want you to listen and evaluate your life and how you live it with them. Paul says, don't lie. Duh. I mean, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> That's the thing. All of these, you'll look at them and say, yeah, that makes sense. It's not hard to understand. It's hard to live it out. Paul says, don't lie. He says to speak the truth, and he gives us a reason why we are members of one another. This is true about every relationship. The more there is truth, the more there is trust. Think about it. If you have a relationship with a boss, a friend, a family member, your spouse, 
a pastor. The more you talk to each other, tell each other the truth, doesn't that build up trust? To the point where you would trust someone with your life. The opposite is also true. All it takes is a lie to destroy trust and destroy a relationship. The quickest way to destroy a relationship is to fill it with lies. To the point where maybe I don't even believe anything you say anymore. Am I going to trust you? Are we really going to have a relationship? Paul tells us we're all members of one body. He commanded earlier for us to keep the unity. If we are lying to each other, we're going to destroy that unity and destroy the body of Christ. That's why it's vitally important we speak the truth to each other. Would you rather be in a church where you can't believe a word anyone says? Or a church where you would trust your very life with the brothers and sisters there? I want that second one. And the way to have that is to be truthful with each other. And not lie. Paul goes on and says, to sin, I mean, excuse, gosh, not to sin, don't sin in your anger, okay? He says, to be angry, as I said earlier when we were talking to the children, God gets angry. Jesus, remember, was angry when he saw the temple turned into a den of thieves. He drove out the money changers. God was angry when he saw the people worshiping an idol. When you see someone who is innocent suffering, don't you get angry? When you see injustice, don't you get angry? You should get angry. When there is sin, we should get angry. What we should do more is get angry at the sin in our own life. Uh, but too often we rationalize that sin and maybe get angry at other people's sin. Uh, in some ways there should be more anger. But it has to be at the right time, the right place, for the right purpose. Usually what happens with our anger is that it's selfish. And we're angry because we're not getting something we want. That is sinful. It's selfish. And so Paul is telling us our anger has to be at the right place, focused at the right person or the right reason. Because if it's not, what's going to happen is we are going to allow the devil to give us, have an opportunity for us to sin even more. What usually accompanies anger is violence and hatred. Those are, that's sin. Violence and hatred is a sin. And anger, when it is unchecked and when it's not dealt with immediately, usually does turn into that. I know when I get angry, I just want to hit something. Right? I try to hit inanimate objects, not the people around me. But if you've ever gotten angry and especially you feel rage, don't you just want to break something? You want to hurt something? That, that's sinful. That's anger that's turned into sin. And when that hatred and that violence comes from that anger, now we have gone to sin. And that's because we had anger that was inappropriate and that gave an opportunity for Satan to put a wedge right in there and bring in other sin. Paul says what we need to do is to take care of our anger really immediately. He says, don't let the sun go down on it. Haven't you seen, unfortunately, how someone is hurt and they're angry? But they don't do anything about it in a right way. They let that anger simmer. And the anger becomes bitterness. And it becomes hatred. And it becomes a loathing. And it becomes a stand off from that person and separate from that person. There are people who haven't spoken to each other in decades. 
because of one incident that began with anger but wasn't dealt with. If they had dealt with that anger and that hurt immediately, there would have been a lifetime of relationship lived that was thrown away because anger wasn't dealt with right away. That's why Paul says do it and do it immediately. He says don't steal and work. I haven't been there, but honestly there are times and places where people steal to survive. If they don't steal, they will die. But Paul's not talking about that. He's talking about what we see more generally. And that's more generally people steal because they're lazy and because they're selfish. They're lazy because they don't want to do the work to earn it for themselves. They just rather take it from someone. And they're selfish because they're not considering that they are taking from someone. They're not considering the person, their thoughts, their needs, what they have. They're completely selfish. So Paul tells us to do the opposite. The opposite of being lazy and selfish is to work hard and to share with others. So I know a lot of you probably have thought about this, and that's why you do work hard, because you don't want to be someone who is stealing from others. I would ask you to add to that, though. Are you working for other people, or are you just working for yourself? You know, often I will work hard, but I'm thinking about how I'm going to bless myself and what I'm going to get from myself. Paul says, go beyond that. Work so that you can provide for yourself or your family, but also so you can give and you can share. And isn't it true if we did more sharing, there would be less and maybe no people that would have to steal to survive because their needs would be met by us sharing from the hard work that we have done. So our hard work's not just for us. It's for other people as well. Paul says, don't speak foul language. Speak only what builds up because it will give grace to those who hear and not grieve the Holy Spirit. We ought to think of foul language as curse words. And yes, it's true that when you hear curse words, uh, sometimes they just grate on you, don't you? When you hear F-bombs and you hear GDs and you hear, all, and you hear the Lord's name used as a curse word, it just irritates you. But Paul's not simply talking about curse words. He's talking about any language that tears someone down. Isn't it amazing how our words can build someone up or can bring them down? Our words are very powerful. Parents, think about this. Have you ever had your children make something and bring it to you? Now, let's just say this, the thing they bring is kind of ugly, and maybe it's even smelly. Maybe it's something they made for you, whatever. I don't know. So it's kind of smelly, ugly. You know, if they bring it to you with pride and a smile on your face, and you say, oh, that's disgusting. What, what, you just use a couple of words, and you've crushed their spirit. They may never make anything for you ever again. If they bring the same thing to you, and you just say, Wow. Maybe that's all you've got to say. It's honest. <laughs> and you, don't, you just say, wow, one word, and it brings encouragement and lifts them up. That's how powerful our words are. So Paul says our conversation should build us up, not tear us down. So think about that every time you talk with someone, every time you share a story, every time you're with someone, try to leave them with something that's encouraged them. And Paul reminds us that when we sin, specifically here by foul language, but anytime we sin, we grieve God. God himself is hurt when he sees sin, especially sees it in our community.
The last one, don't treat each other badly, treat each other well, because that's how Jesus has treated us. Paul lists six vices to get rid of. I don't have those memorized. <laughs> there is a, there's hatred and angry and uh, anger and bitterness and malice and all of these things. He says to get rid of those. And then he talks about kindness, compassion, forgiveness. That's how we are to treat each other. Because that's how God has treated us. I've summarized it in the easiest way. We should treat each other as God has treated us. Too often we treat each other with those other things. We get jealous, we get bitter, we get angry at each other, we, we uh, judge, we're judgmental, and we forget God has not treated us in that way whatsoever. He has only used compassion and kindness and forgiveness. That's how we treat each other. The last slide... Sometimes our society teaches us that we're pretty good people. Yeah, we're all born good. Our parents screw us up. Our society screws us up. And, and we kind of adjust. And we're, we're all pretty good. We just, if we need any change, it's just a little bit more education, a little bit more understanding, just a slight makeover, and we'll be great people. Paul tells us that's not true. People, all of us, before we met Christ, we were dead, spiritually dead. We had no relationship with God. We had no hope. We were on our way to hell. We didn't need a makeover. We needed a resurrection. And Jesus did that for us. That's what Paul tells us in Ephesians 2. We were dead, but in Christ we're alive. And now that we're alive, we need to be transformed. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes it irritates me when someone says, that's just the way that I am. Yeah, I've got a short temper. That's just the way I am. Yeah, I say some things I shouldn't say, but that's just the way that I am. Yeah, I, I, you know, sometimes I tell a little white lie. That's just the way I am. Maybe I get real angry. That's just who I am. And I feel like saying, that's not who you should be. I mean, if that's who you are, change it. If that's who you are, be transformed. God doesn't want us to stay who we are. He wants us to become just like Him. So never use, that's just who I am, as an excuse to remain where you are, to rationalize your sin, to not take Paul's command seriously, to be changed and to be transformed so that we become like Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray. After I pray, we're going to sing a song of response. I want you to consider what Paul has said this morning. Think about the five commands. Evaluate those or just simply evaluate this. Are you still wearing the dirty, smelly clothes of an old life? Are you wearing the clothes of a new life in Christ? And also think about this. Does your life look like the Lord Jesus Christ? Mine doesn't. I would hazard to guess yours doesn't either. That means we've got more work to do. Let's do that work with the Lord right now in prayer and as we respond. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have saved us and resurrected us to new life. And I'm thankful that you, Holy Spirit, work in us to transform us and change us. My prayer, Lord, is this morning that my brothers and sisters and myself would hear your word and take it seriously and that we would take off the old and put on the new. I pray, Lord, that you would talk specifically to us now 
where our sin has been rationalized and our, just who we are has been our excuse to not change. I pray that, Lord, you would reveal that to us and we would repent of it. I pray, Lord, that you would put in its place a desire for true righteousness and holiness, not just a veneer just to show off to other people, but a true desire to be close to you and like you. And I pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing. Unlike we used to do in the sanctuary, I'm not going to meet you here to pray with you. I'll see you after the service if you would like. I have plenty of time. You can talk to me in private. But this time is just not a time to sing a song so we can leave. It truly is a time to talk with God and be right with Him. So when you do leave this morning, you know that you and God are right. So let's sing and let's respond to what the Lord has spoken to your heart. Thank you.